Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 292 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of the Matinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. We are back, dear listeners. The break is done. The film festival has wrapped. As the song says, autumn's here. That means it's time to start a whole new season of the podcast. It's a season that even comes with some optimism. After two years of taking the show episode by episode, the world seems to be opening itself up enough to think about what's actually coming soon as we move towards our 300th episode. But we get ahead of ourselves, though. Every season starts with a single episode, and every episode starts with a single guest. And I am really, really excited about this single guest. She's a longtime friend of the show, film lover extraordinaire. Please, she is the grand poobah over at musesofmedia.ca. Please welcome back Brittany A. Murphy to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Glad to be back. Definitely. I like, see, I, this is what I love. We start out me reaching out into the void saying, Hey, I don't, I know you don't know me, but would you like to come and join in my reindeer games? And sooner than you realize it, you're like in rotation. Exactly. I do actually have to one of these days buy you a beer to thank you properly for all this. Now that we can start sort of doing that safely on episode 292, we are going to be discussing Don't Worry, Darling. And I cannot wait because this movie has just seemed to be nothing but discussion for like three whole weeks now. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Brittany. This is Know Your Enemy. So this is actually Brittany's first non-comic book episode. I'm really excited about this. On episode 251, Brittany showed up the first time. Uh, we talked about Wonder Woman 1984. We learned the first film she'd ever seen in a the theater was The Lion King. The last film she'd watched at the time was The Prince of Egypt. The worst film she's ever seen is Cats. The unseen classic or essential were the universal monster movies, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman. Have you seen any of them since? Um, I saw Frankenstein, but I have not seen the others, but I was planning on doing the October or Spooktober film yeah, yeah. challenge. So I might use one of those for my first watches. Love it. If you, I don't know if you use Criterion channel, they're all on Criterion channel this month. Nice. There you go. And the film she wished she made was Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman. Brittany returned for round two on episode 272. We talked about Eternals. The film she digs that nobody else likes is Wonder Woman 1984. The film everybody else digs that she does not is Spencer. The last film to make her cry was Scarborough. In the movie of her life, she'd be played by Michelle Buteau. And the film she was watching next was Red Notice. So it is time for round three. Miss Murphy, interpret this question any way you want. But what was the movie that made your love of film turn a corner? So I thought about this for a while because I didn't know if I wanted to take it a negative route or a positive route, but I'm going to choose the positive route. And I'm going to say Princess Diaries. It sounds <laughs> really random. Please show your work. <laughs> I guess for me, whenever I watch it, it reminds me of me and my Nana because we went to watch the film together. Okay. Um, and obviously, no, we are, I'm not secretly like royalty or anything like that, but it still has obviously the grandmother granddaughter bond. So that was nice. And I think too, even though obviously it was geared towards a younger audience, I guess it also was kind of like my first romantic comedy that I've ever watched. That was probably what then turned the corner in terms of like, Oh, like rom-coms, it's a thing. I will now watch more of them. And I just remember like after that, like, you know, going with my friends to theaters and stuff, we would always then after seeing Princess Diaries would always kind of pick the ones that were, you know, on the rom-com scale. So like how to lose a guy in 10 days and things like that. And I still, to this day, how many years later, still love a good rom-com. I also still love a bad rom-com. I will just watch it anyway. I, I would definitely attend your rom-com TED Talks. I can only imagine the, 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 how far you go down that rabbit hole. Yes. I mean, this this dovetails quite nicely because, of course, Princess Diaries, we've got Chris, Chris Pine, and we've got Chris Pine for our conversation today. It's funny. Princess Diaries, I don't think anybody over at Disney really thought they were launching something when they created this 
fluffy little cupcake in 2001. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of people do come back to it. Um, You know, it was it was kind of a whole generation's intro to Julie Andrews. Yeah. Anne Hathaway, of course. It's one of those ones that people kind of keep coming back to about her. And she's mm-hmm. really charming when she's when she's playing this kind of character. Um, it, it's it's sweet. It's not it's certainly not my cup of tea, but I can see how it, it's it's better than it actually has any right to be. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it has it's it's interesting that you mention it in the pedigree of rom-com because it's Gary Marshall and he is basically rom-com royalty with yeah. You know, everything from Runaway Bride to Beaches, Pretty Woman, you name it, both of the Princess Diaries. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting little foray into into one's love of film and, and the gateway drug for rom-coms. Exactly. I love it. On that note of romantic comedies, what was your first date movie? So this probably sounds really weird. And oh, I, I, I love when it starts that way. I really do. I, uh, when I was thinking of this question, I honestly sat there thinking, I don't think I've ever been on a date to the movies until like a lot later in life. <laughs> okay. So I think my first one that was a date was actually The Nice Guys uh, with Ryan Gosling and <laughs> Russell Crowe. Okay. And I mean, that that's recent enough that there's an episode on that one. Exactly. And then the one after that was literally, I only went on the one date with this guy. Um, and I had already seen the movie prior, but didn't have the heart to tell him that I had already watched it. So, you know, I put forth, you know, an Oscar worthy performance of, you know, being shocked and amazed by the things that were happening in Fast and Furious 8. <laughs> um so yep yeah, so those those are my first date movies because anything else prior was either just going with friends right. or it was like oh you're in high school is this even a date because you're also with a group of other people so i mean those ones i guess we'd officially <laughs> were serious they were dates <laughs> so yeah uh they they weren't with the same guy i take it no Gotcha. Okay. Oh, and we we said the Fast and Furious was kind of a one time one time deal. Yes. Um, I mean, it's it's funny you you bring up a point. I know this has come up on the show before, where people mention to me they're like, I'm not even sure if it was a date. We went with a group of friends. There was you know there, there's sometimes where it's like it was a date for me, but it wasn't a date for them. Right. I thought it was a real simple question. That's why it's in round three. But apparently this one is like I may have to retire this question because it just seems to lead into so many strange places yeah like there are some that i can think back to and i'm like i don't necessarily think it's a date but i definitely think that you know you know when you're going with a group of friends you you know you go to take your seat and they're like no you should sit beside insert guy's name here so like you knew obviously that the person liked you or you liked them but did anything ever come from it? Like, I mean, when you're in high school, really most of the time, nothing does. Yeah. yeah. On top of everything else, of course, just as a date, it's a strange thing to do because you're sitting and not talking for two hours. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like I, I get it. If, you know, it's a third or fourth or fifth date or something like that. Uh, you know, my first date with my wife, we didn't go to the movies, which I'm sure probably surprises a few people considering how big a part movies play in our story. But yeah, it's, I, I may, the, the way you're talking about it now, nice guys and fast and furious eight, I may have to think long and hard about retiring this question Yes, or at least changing it. I might change it into what is your perfect date movie. That's a good one. All right. That, that may be where we go with this going forward. Future round three people be warned. Um, okay. Completely opposite end of the spectrum. Brittany A. Murphy. What is your sick day movie? Um, I don't have one in particular that I always do. There are rules here. Come on. I know, but I think for me, it's just, I'll go to something animated. I don't really have like a specific one that I would just always pick when I'm sick. I just always go for something animated nine times out of 10. Um, I don't know. I think in general, a lot of them either trigger like good memories or they're just like the storylines are comforting and they're nice. Like I think I'm trying to think when I had COVID the first few days I would just 
slept pretty much. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the ones I watched after that was um, How to Train Your Dragon. Once okay. I started feeling a bit more like myself again. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, you know, most animated movies, they visually, they look stunning. Um, but a lot of them obviously have, you know, heartfelt messages attached to them. So it's just kind of a nice feel good when you're sick. It's like a night being wrapped in a nice blanket, I guess, or a nice mm-hmm. hug. So, yeah. The only thing I would worry about with that is I feel as though animation is a little bit too boisterous for me when I'm mm-hmm. sick. It might get a little loud. It might get a little bit blaring. Like I, if I was to go animation only when I was sick, I'd probably do something like watch a whole bunch of Ghibli movies. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? That That I could do. I don't know if I could necessarily even do... Pixar or anything like that when I'm sick, it might just get a little too cacophonous mm. when I'm trying to rest off the the malady. It's your sick day, so you watch what you want to watch. I love it. All right. Animation. Good to know. Uh, what was the last film to leave you speechless? Wow. It's the way I had such a long pause. It's like I'm speechless already. <laughs> <laughs> um, women talking. Okay. Tell people about this movie. We talked about it during the TIFF wrap-up episode, but um, just in case people didn't tune into that calamity, and I do apologize because that balcony is kind of loud. So I do, listening back, I do know if you listened to the first few minutes and tuned out, I don't blame you. Um, What, uh, tell people about women talking and specifically why it left you speechless. So I hadn't read the book that it is based on prior. So it was one of those situations where I kind of knew the general synopsis of it, obviously, but I was really going in blind. And I actually saw it twice. I saw it at a pre-TIFF screening, and then I saw the premiere at TIFF. I was doing, I did some of the red carpet photography. Um, So I actually watched the movie afterwards i've watched obviously sarah polly's work before whether it's her uh, in front of the camera or behind the camera and i always just enjoy her work um and i feel like this is one of the first movies i've seen in a while that i would definitely if i was giving it a rating out of five it's probably the closest to a five that and i don't really think i've ever given anything a five Hmm other than turning red. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's hard to explain it, but I feel like it's one of those movies where everything worked, which you don't always have for the most part. Like the cinematography was great. The directing was great. The acting was great. Like there was nothing in it that I didn't like, even though it's obviously hard to watch from the standpoint of what it's talking about. Um, but it was so good. And it's one of those things I would just want to like deep dive into, but obviously don't want to spoil it for people who say haven't read the book or don't know about it. Um, but yeah, it was just like, even in the theater watching it, it was just like complete silence from start to finish. Obviously there's a few like moments that have like, you know, are lighthearted or humorous. So people, you know, laughed and things, but for the most part, like everyone was dead silent. They were just locked in on everything. And yeah, if Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley don't get nominated for Oscars (laughs) for this, I don't know. I'm really excited. I I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. I have loved all the other movies that Sarah Pauly has created it's been a long, long wait for her to, you know, feel like she could make another film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's been like ten years since stories we tell and and um, take this waltz. Uh, it, it's a stunning movie. It really is. It's very, very simple. Like the 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 <laughs> the title is quite apt. It mm-hmm. pretty much just is women talking yeah. um, about something in particular. Like they're not just all sitting in a room talking about their life grievances. They are trying to come to a decision on how best to proceed with their collective lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. It's 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 a really really engrossing film. It leaves you with so many things. You're right. There's so much to talk about in that movie. I really do want it to drop soon, that so that I can do a full episode about it with somebody. Speechless surprises me. I like. I was 
I was ready to talk about it the moment I walked out of it. I guess that's that's the thing. So speechless is kind of an interesting reaction to it, but I can definitely definitely feel the love um for women talking and i can't wait for people to catch up with it so thank you for reminding me of that um as i said i hope to record an episode about that later this year um but last but not least for now until we inevitably bring you back for the fourth time Brittany a murphy what is a film quote that would be your epitaph again i struggled with this question he's like mm, there's so many great quotes always is uh See, now I'm thinking, like, which one should I narrow it down to? Which one should I narrow it down to? Um, I think that I'm going to go back to Princess Diaries. <laughs> and my quote would be, you saw me when everyone else thought I was invisible. That's lovely. You saw me when I was invisible. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean... I mean, it's a little bit, like, kind of, I guess, a sad quote, but it's also, like, a nice quote at the same time. I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking before we went on air about imposter syndrome in the job, mm-hmm. right? I feel like ev- like so many of us feel like we just blend into the crowd and our anxieties that we carry are just making us smaller and smaller in the room. And for somebody, you know, like what I love is it is said in a romantic context in this movie but i feel like it actually transcends romance Mm -hmm. yeah no that's a beautiful quote great job thank you very nice okay i I don't want you to go anytime soon but if that was on your headstone i would you know i I would definitely be that's like well well done well played thank you i mean if i wanted to keep it light and airy and be kind of like you know funny when i go yeah. I could still pull from Princess Diaries and it would be a queen is never late. Everyone else is simply early. <laughs> and being I, on island time most of the time and <laughs> being Jamaican and Irish, I'm a lot, I'm, sometimes I am late. So I mean, gotcha. it also would work well. I, I love it. I really do. Well done. Well done. Um, there we go. That's more about Brittany. Um, we have a movie to discuss. <laughs> Boy, howdy, do we have a movie to discuss. Ordinarily, this show does go spoiler free. This conversation is going to have a spoiler section. This movie really needs to be discussed as a complete. So be forewarned. We're going to talk about it safely first and then sound a gong. Don't worry, darling, is right after this. Don't Worry Darling was directed by Olivia Wilde. It was written by Katie Silberman based on her own story, written with Carrie and Shane Van Dyke. It stars Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Wilde herself, Gemma Chan, Chris Pine, and Kiki Lane. Don't Worry Darling is about the 1950s community of Victory, California, where the aptly named Project Victory is being carried out in the shadows. It's a community where the men go off to their clandestine jobs while the women work out, shop, gossip, and just live their lives. In the middle of this community is Jack and Alice, that is Harry Styles and Florence Pugh, a young sexy couple who seem to make a routine life look very, very sexy. But all is not right in victory. Alice notices one of the wives acting quite melancholy and also starts to see strange occurrences around the periphery, flashes and glimmers of another life. As Jack's star continues to rise in the esteem of the project's leader, Frank, that's Chris Pine, Alice holds fast to her belief that something in victory is very, very wrong. The interesting thing about talking about a film like this a few weeks after it arrived into everybody's life is that the story around it has been built up as much as the story it contains. So very much has been said about this movie. So many rumors, so many swipes, so much gossip. Much of what has been discussed isn't really fair or sometimes even valid. That hasn't stopped anyone from discussing it. In a way, that leans into the film and echoes its theme of perceptions and the way women are treated. So let's start there. Pop quiz hotshot. With all of the talk about what this movie and its creator is, what is it not? 
I mean, I want to say it's not good, <laughs> but I don't know if that's allowed. That's allowed. If you want to start there, you can start there. I was actually, it's funny because my answer to that was going to be saying it's not bad. Interesting. Honestly, I didn't dislike it as much as I thought I would. Okay. Um, but I also didn't really enjoy it. Like, okay. I'm very in the middle. I feel as though Florence Pugh and Chris Pine carried the film. And if they weren't in it, I don't know what this would have been really. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I totally get that. Listening to the noise that basically being broadcast at 11 through all of September, like from the moment this thing arrived in Venice, I don't even think from the moment it arrived in Venice, I think even the week before, because that's when mm-hmm. things really started getting bad, all the way up until even just like last week. Um, it was all about things on set and relationship between the director and the star and relationship between the director and the other star and somebody who was fired and their conversations and on and on and on. It, like It became difficult we usually on this show try to stay confined to what's happening on the screen but it's it became difficult to even think about this movie and contain it to what was happening on the on the screen so i mean that that's that's i guess that's where i come down saying it's not bad now you're right it, it's you know and, and you can kind of get into this it's also not great it's it's handsome like there is money invested in this movie that is clear to see and there is talent around this movie but you you raise a point where it doesn't necessarily all coalesce Mm -hmm. honestly i feel like the first part of the movie had promise and then it just goes off the rails i don't know how to explain it you know in this section without getting into you know the spoilers of it yeah but it just a lot of it felt disjointed it was almost as if you had like, obviously there's many movies where you have more than one writer, but it's almost as if each section was written by a separate person that was just working on their own and not talking to any of the other people. And then at the end came together and was like, okay, here's act one, two, and three. And they just slotted them together, but didn't really talk to each other about what they were going to have in each respective section. Yeah, I mean that's that's possible. I, we do know that um, Silberman can write. I mean, Silberman mm-hmm. and Wild were the duo that created Booksmart. Yeah. So we know that one can direct, and we know that one can write, and we know that they work well together because they have before. Now, mm-hmm. maybe this particular genre is not the genre for them. Mm-hmm. Um, this it, it plays. A lot. I, I must admit, since we're talking about things that are outside of what happens within the screen, I gotta admit that this movie was sold poorly. Mm-hmm. This movie, like, there is a lot about this movie that is told to you in the ads, in the trailers, and I kind of feel like if a lot of that was kept quiet, that th- there might have been a different experience mm-hmm. coming away from it because the. Twilight zone approach to this movie, the something strange is going on in suburbia approach of this movie. I wonder what this movie would have been like if it was kept quiet. Yeah, I wonder that as well. That was part of the thing that bothered me after watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel as though while it doesn't necessarily give everything away, the trailer I guess it was the like second trailer, the last trailer, final trailer they dropped. It almost laid out the storyline for you in a way, um, which I feel like movies like this dealing with these kinds of things, you should be going into them knowing as little as possible um, because it does ruin the viewing experience if you know too much. That's why a lot of times I'll watch maybe the first trailer and then just never look at any of the other ones because I know they're going to start showing things that I don't want to see yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this one, the same thing kind of happened. Yeah. I mean, I was having a conversation last week about how directors, most directors in Hollywood don't get to cut their trailers, Mm -hmm. but I, I feel as though Warner really, 
did this movie a disservice by showing so much. A lot of this movie, um, Alice has these recurring visions mm-hmm. and kind of it's kind of this surreal nightmare that she has that's in black and white. It's a gorgeous visual, but it's this weird visual of like rockets mm-hmm. in, in black and white and they're in formation and they're doing things. That's in the trailer. That's in the first trailer. You see that black and white imagery. And I'm like, why is that there? That has nothing to do with the victory plot. Mm-hmm. Why is that even in there? Because that comes up more and more. And I'm like, that sort of thing, if it was kept out of the promotion, maybe this movie would hit a little bit differently. If we just thought we were going into seeing some movie about 1950s unrest, mm-hmm. you know, like 1950s domestic ennui, we would have a different experience of if, you know, coming away from it going, guys, it's super weird. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got Florence Pugh and Harry Styles at the center of this. Um, what did we make of uh, young Alice and uh, and um, Jack? I really liked Florence Pugh. I mean, I've never seen her in something where I didn't like her. She's in like a category for me, at least, is like with, you know, Saoirse Ronan, her fellow Little Women co-star. Like, again, I've never seen her put in a bad performance. She's one of those people that... Her performances are so good that I will, I'll watch movies because she's in it. Even if like, it's not something that, you know, generally I would gravitate towards. Right. I would definitely watch something if someone was like, oh, Florence Pugh is in it. I'd be like, okay, great. I'll watch it. Um, so how, I really enjoyed her performance in this. So I got to ask you then, how is she in fighting with my family? Because that's one of the few movies she's in that I've never seen. And I keep thinking one of these days I might take the bait just because of Pew. She's really good in it. I actually right. liked that movie. Again, I didn't really know. Like I knew obviously from the trailers kind of what to expect. You know, it's like a wrestling movie. Right, right. Um, but my friend watched it and was like, no, you have to watch it. It's so good. So I was like, okay. And this was before I was like on like the Florence Pugh like bandwagon essentially. Yeah. Um, so I thought she did a really great job in it. And the movie is actually pleasantly good. <laughs> what I love about her in this movie is she does. First of all, I like, I, I don't think she's capable, at least not so far of turning in a bad performance. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this movie, she does a wonderful job of playing um, not, not fraught. Like she's not, she's not run ragged in this movie. The story allows her to move with the, with the current as it goes. Like she's never getting increasingly frazzled the way that a character like this sometimes just becomes a raw nerve by the Mm -hmm. end. But she's she's great at really embodying, um, on one hand, the panic yeah. of something is very, very wrong. But on the other hand, also embodying the calculation of, I'm going to figure this shit out. Like, I'm not just going to stand here and, you know, scream that the sky is falling. I am going to find a way to talk to that one wife who is, you know, saying that things here are really wrong. I'm going to get that file out of his, out of his um, briefcase and see if I can read it. I'm going to get off the trolley and run into the desert because that's where the answer is. You watch the way that she moves. She's got a really, really expressive face and she, you can kind of always see her running calculations. She is, you know, if nothing else, like, you know, we could talk about how I think it's not terribly bad and you think it's not terribly good. Both of us coming somewhere in the middle. I think we could both agree that it's worth watching just for her. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, <laughs> and it pains me to say this, Harry Styles is not a reason to watch this movie. Uh, definitely not. It was not a selling point for me. I feel as though it's one of those cases where they're banking on the person's popularity. Yeah. And again, it's not to say that he doesn't have the ability to say, you know, become a leading man, but this is, you know, his first movie really. I know he's been in like Dunkirk and other things, but they were not, you know, he wasn't the main character in any of those. So I don't know what was seen in those past two films. I would be like, yes, let's make this person the leading man. And it's not even just that. It's that he's surrounded by a lot of people who are really great actors. 
Yeah. So that definitely does not help his cause. I feel as though that situation can work sometimes. Like you have people like Chris Pine, for example, which I feel like he's like a charisma magnet. So whoever he's with, even if they're, you know, not, you know, the best actors, let's say he, his chemistry with them is always so good that you don't really notice that you just, you're looking Oh, here's Chris Pine and whoever he's with and interacting with, and it just makes the scene better. But I feel like with this movie, it didn't really have that. If anything, it kind of just pointed out styles is, you know, he's not as learned as the rest of his co-stars, which is not his fault. Obviously he's only been in two other things basically, but I feel the movie could have been elevated if there was, if they had a leading man that was on the level of Florence Pugh. I mean, a lot of the first half, we're going to get into spoilers later, but a lot of the pre-spoiler role of Jack Chambers is to be the dashing, successful husband. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a, he's a younger, not as high up the ladder Don Draper. Right. So anytime that that's all that Harry has to do, anytime Harry just needs to wear sunglasses, smile, and open the car door, Harry can do that. Harry can do that just fine. Anytime Harry needs to stup Florence Pugh, Harry can do that. Anytime Harry needs to get serious, or God knows, anytime Harry needs to actually get upset, Harry can't do that. Right. And that is a problem in a movie like this because it's not all that first half. That first half, he does everything he needs to do, but once he's asked to do more, um, and from what I understand, the other movie that he's in, did, uh, did you see My Policeman at TIFF? So I haven't seen that one, but I have heard some commentary from things. people yeah. that have watched. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's that's the thing. Like I feel like I feel like Harry can play Harry. Mm-hmm. You know, just like any pop star can, because part of you're not just it's it's not just a singer songwriter. You're not just standing behind a microphone, strumming your guitar and singing. There's there's a persona that you embody, and Harry has done very very well with that. I don't know if Harry can play anything else. Um, right. That was that was one. I will admit that was one disappointment um, coming to this movie. But the disappointment aside, the one thing we must both admit: this film is really stylish it is i mean that's the one good thing i think it has going for it i would hope so after isn't it i think it's like 38 million (laughs) that they spent on the movie 35 Mm -hmm. something around that range in every capacity this movie is handsome like everybody who's in it looks really well uh, themselves styled the set itself this community of victory looks amazing it's got these trolleys that go up and down the road the cars look beautiful they drive in formation and it's gorgeous uh, and even when we get away from just wasn't the 50s pretty because i feel like that gets done to death mm-hmm. um even once we get into things like there's a chase sequence at least one. I think there's two, but there's one really, you know, there's a chase sequence in this movie and it's shot really, really well. This movie, if nothing else, even if the narrative doesn't necessarily work, this is the kind of thing you could put on and just let your eyes watch while you work. And in some ways it is frustrating because the script doesn't work. The craft of this movie is really well executed and really handsome. It's, it's wonderfully cut. It's wonderfully shot, wonderfully styled. The music is bloody glorious um you know like there, there's skill here you gotta admit yeah for sure i think it's definitely the way that it's shot the music is great the cinematography is great but again i wasn't expecting anything less from matthew libatique who did black swan um obviously some more recent things too i believe he also did the whale um and birds of prey um, oh, yeah so that that's that's i mean that that's that's somebody like really really talented behind the camera for sure yeah so i was glad that it looked the way it did and sounded the way it did and to your point everyone in it looks extremely good mm-hmm. um 
it's one of those things where I feel like this movie had everything going for it and then but it didn't all work. <laughs> I think the one last thing I want to bring up before we get into spoilers because it is in the it's in the promotional material and it's it's very very present in the first half of the movie is the notion of pleasure as a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's interesting that this is a film that is written and directed by a woman because the pleasure of Alice is very much front and center in this movie. You know, this is one of these things where you don't usually see the point of view um, where sex is concerned of a woman's pleasure. It's Mm -hmm. usually, you know, POV of a man and the acts themselves are usually to, to gratify the man. I thought that was really interesting um, in terms of what the movie does and, who created it and also we'll come back to it kind of how it echoes into the overall point of the movie. Yes. I actually liked how it was done. My only gripe about it was I feel as though in terms of how the trailers like portrayed everything, obviously didn't show things in too much detail. Um, But I feel as though it was kind of giving more of a woman empowerment vibe than the movie actually deserved in some ways. Yeah, that's fair. Um, So I think that was my only kind of gripe about it, but I do like that, you know, we're actually seeing things and it's not from a man's point of view. And I think I'm just, you know, extra annoyed with the man's point of view. Cause I actually, before we got on this podcast, unfortunately watched blonde so oh no i mean that's you know like it's it's been a rough month for the conversation around movies and as much as both of us are, are kind of scratching our heads at this one uh, the, the both of us can come away from it saying well at least it's not blonde exactly yeah. yeah i do think it's very interesting because while sex in film is certainly not the taboo that it once was, um, you know, we both have to admit that woman's pleasure uh, seems to be still, even though it is, that is not at all a taboo topic at right. all. It is, it does still come with this clutching of pearls and, oh my goodness, she got head on a table. What is, what is this world coming to? And yet it's not only is it in this movie, multiple times Mm -hmm. bravo um it's in the materials to sell it we got it we got to kind of say like that's a flex it is and yet we'll get into this in a minute the betrayal of it is it's not what it seems Mm -hmm. so that that's the interesting point okay we have been pussyfooting around this too much um you know i think you can kind of tell where we're both at with this movie we're both very much somewhere in the middle i'm kind of middle positive Brittany is middle negative would you say this is worth seeing i think it is i feel as though a lot of times we always you know we rely on other people's opinions but i feel like if you were intrigued by the first trailer and you're one of the people who also hasn't seen any of the others so the main points haven't been spoiled for you yeah i think those people will have a better time watching the movie because they don't really know all of the, you know, foolery that was afoot. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not already wary of it, go see it. Exactly. Okay. And okay. I think the performances from Florence Pugh and Chris Pine are worth worthy gotcha. enough to watch. Them. Okay. So make of that what you will, people. I'm thinking it's an interesting mess. Uh, <laughs> Brittany thinks it's a mess that is interesting at times. So um, go with God. We are going to get into the spoiler section of Don't Worry Darling right after this. I'm coming home, baby, now. I'm coming home now, right away. Okay, so men are shit, uh, is the the point of this movie. Um, And we are. We have been led down this path of promotional materials in the beginning of this movie that victory is not what it seems and there's this very twilight zoney thing going on alice keeps humming this song that she can't even name that seems to be some sort of you know trigger mechanism we know that victory itself is something 
You know, we we can tell we've all seen enough stories like this that we know that Victory is not a small town where weird shit happening. So there is something bigger going on. And what we learn is that the women in Victory are women from our reality who are essentially in a lucid dream put there by the incels that turn into their husbands in this reality. And that's terrible. Uh, just no, no two ways about it. That is an awful reality. The question is, is, is that enough to hang a movie on? And does this movie do the job of hanging it? That is actually where I was mildly interested, but I don't think it stuck that landing. And I get the impression that's where you really tapped out. Yeah. Yeah, Ex- it was a no from me, dog, to quote <laughs> Randy Jackson. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I think to me, it was, I guess, the insidiousness of it. It wasn't as though I have, like, again, to your point, there's a lot of movies where, you know, okay, some creepy, weird thing is happening in the suburbs. But I think for me, where I tapped out is exactly what you were saying that basically their husbands are essentially incels who, for you know reasons of their own because obviously everyone who is in the town of victory is obviously there for different reasons when they you know there's like the flashback scenes where you see kind of where florence Pugh's life was her and uh, her character and harry styles's character um you know he's the funny thing was that he seemed a lot more unhappy than she did And then he's the one who wanted to change their lives to make it perfect. And I'm like, she didn't seem unhappy, though. I mean. And see, that's, I mean, that's the thing I thought was interesting. It's it's handled, there's a scene missing. Like, Mm -hmm. when I think about this story, I think about the, the, you know, not in the sunken place. (laughs) In the, in the, in the above world, there was another scene between real world Alice and Jack where they talk about their relationship. Like we can see in the, whatever it is, five minutes of, you know, 123 minutes of this movie that we get with them. We can see that she works really, really hard Mm -hmm. that they don't exactly have uh, what you'd call intimacy in their, in their relationship right now. It's, it's very, they're, they're running in very, very separate laps and to her, that's okay because she has all these other things in life that fulfill her, especially her job. Like she really loves being a doctor. She is not working just to make ends meet. She's working because she finds fulfillment in that. Um, But I feel like there was a scene missing where she talks about that beyond just, I like working. Like I I think she literally says, I like working. Yeah. I think to your point, that's the problem is to, you know, if you want to hang this whole Twilight Zone, and I, I'm probably causing a drinking game for how many times I've said Twilight Zone, <laughs> this parallel dimension where everybody has everything they could need is created. I think there was something more that was needed in our dimension to get there. Right. It's not fleshed out enough, but I do think there's something interesting in the idea that the story is men in the world just think I just need to take care of her. Like this is, this is what this woman wants and this is what I need to be. You know, the, the, this story by wild and Silberman of men's expectations of who they are supposed to be and how they are supposed to be for women. I think that's, that's got something to it, even if it's not fully fleshed out. Yeah, I agree. I think that was the part that stuck out to me because I think even in their conversation where she's talking about how she enjoys work, like he, in that little, you know, five minute section, um, he says like, I guess he's like looking for a job because he's not currently working. So you can tell that he obviously feels like, you know, I'm the man, I'm supposed to be like a provider. I'm supposed to be taking care of you. And basically you have to work all the time because I'm, not employed right now and it's interesting because it's something that i guess has been ingrained in society for so long men women they're all supposed to have these very particular roles and as soon as like one thing kind of upsets that 
I don't even want to say balance, but that, you know, life ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that all of a sudden everything like gets thrown off. And I think that's basically, even though, again, we don't see it because to your point, it seems like there's scenes missing. Um, that's obviously what, you know, sets him off to be like, okay, like I need to make everything perfect. I need to fix this. How do I do that? Which is what sends him to a spiral of, okay, well, let's just, you know, basically kidnap my own wife and force her into this thing that I'm not even going to tell her about. So now she thinks we're in the fifties having this perfect life, but meanwhile, that's not the case. And I'm stripped all of her, like she has no autonomy now, like the things that she enjoyed before she can't even do. So I feel like it's an interesting topic of conversation. I just don't care for the execution of it. There's another draft of this somewhere, mm-hmm. or or there or there would be another draft of it if they'd gone a little bit further with the development. Um, you're right. Like men have been raised to only understand one dynamic. They do not understand being just a warm presence. They don't understand being, um, you know, part of something. They only understand basically driving. They can't ride, they can't ride shotgun. Men cannot ride shotgun. Um, you know, and I even say this as I, I say this as somebody who is unemployed for, for a long time. Like, don't get me wrong. It will screw you up, Mm -hmm. but how you deal with it, um, says something about you. And if all you know to deal with it is, I need to be able to provide a perfect life, you know, unemployed, like th- then you're, you're on the wrong track. And this comes from, you know, a long line of what we're taught. Unfortunately, this movie is not here to exactly teach us something different. The other thing that I think is interesting about this though, is we've got this recurring theme of Alice saying, I know something is wrong. I know something is wrong. Like she tells basically everybody who will listen because she, you know, she catches a glimpse of it um, when she starts paying attention to Margaret, Mm -hmm. you know, and that really starts sending her down the, down the rabbit hole. Pardon the, I'm, I'm really mixing my metaphors (laughs) on this, on this episode, but it's the kind of thing we, we saw this years ago in, in rogue one, you know, as a, for instance of, one woman stands in front of a group and says, or, or even just stands in front of one person and says, I have seen something or I know something. I cannot give you factual proof right this second, but I need you to believe me that it is true. And she is dismissed. I think that part of it, I think does work, but I'm not sure if you agree. Yeah, that part definitely worked for me because it was basically like, you know, women's intuition embodied in a film um i also thought it was interesting even though i was kind of mad that they underutilized kiki lane as a character in general um as margaret um but i also thought it was interesting that the first person who knew something wasn't right was the black woman because we've been telling you like listen to black women for how long yeah um so i thought that was interesting it just you know made me mad what happened with Margaret character yeah. as a whole in the film. Um, but I do think that it was interesting and that was part of the like the women's intuition and women not being heard and not being listened to definitely worked because it's 2022 and it happens every second. So Yeah, yeah. You know, again, where we talk about different versions of this movie. Um, if Nia DaCosta was telling this movie, if Ava DuVernay was telling this movie, if D. Reese, mm-hmm. Lord, if D. Reese was telling this movie, not only, you know, you would have something very, very different coming away from it while still probably keeping this core idea. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's weird. Like we're, we're not ragging it. Like we're not saying this, this thing is not the trash fire that people would have you, be- that have you mm-hmm. believe. It doesn't work, but it doesn't work for reasons inside of the screen. They have nothing to do with who was up and who and who was fired from what. Within the screen, there are questions um, that nobody is even talking about because they're far too interested in Harry spitting on Chris at (laughs) Venice. And that's that's the frustrating thing sometimes about following 
film media and entertainment media is like, like, can we please talk about this movie for a minute? Because I don't care if Olivia and Harry are hitting it. And if that caused unrest on the set, I want to talk like you said about what would this film be like from the perspective of a woman of color trying to tell us something is wrong. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Um, we end every um, matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would Brittany Murphy, what would be your souvenir from don't worry, darling. I don't know if this is allowed because I feel like it would be kidnapping, but I would just keep Chris Pine. <laughs> He, I mean, we didn't really talk about him too much, but he's amazing in this movie, isn't he? Like, he, he plays this combination of, like, a, a, a cult leader and um, evangelist CEO type guy. And he finds the way to nail persuasive without being skeezy. Yes. And that's a really hard mark to hit. I agree. I Other than Florence Pugh, I was solely watching this for Chris Pine. Yeah. And I wasn't disappointed. I mean, obviously his character sucks. Oh, yes. yes. Um, but he does a good job as the character. And he also looked very good. Yeah. He, again, like you put him in 1950s attire and he, he like, we've seen this. Already. He is, it's kind of crazy. He's very much a man out of time. You yeah. know, like you can drop him into any air. We saw this with, with Wonder Woman when, you know, when, when he was like the, the 1910s pilot and he looked, looked the part, yeah. you know, we've seen, we've seen this with, with Princess Diaries and he looks the part. It's, it's kind of a wonderful thing about Chris Pine. I agree. Basically put Chris Pine in anything because it doesn't matter the era. He will fit right in. Yeah. He is, he is all of the things, uh, you know, we still need another, we still need him as, as Captain Kirk again. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm waiting on one of those. Yeah. Chris Pine. Okay. Kidnap the pine. I, I will totally allow it. My, my, listen, my souvenir is far more frivolous. Uh, I, I want the barware. Uh, people probably know I've been mixing a lot more drinks lately. Follow my Instagram and you'll see a, a new cocktail on Thursdays. And my little lowball tumblers are not the faceted glassware that they are like swinging around in this movie. Like they're basically solo cups. Uh, So I I really want that barware so that my cocktails have the proper panache that that they require. That's a good choice. That's uh, that's what, you know, like, and I want it all. Like I want the shakers. I want the strainers. I want the picks. Give me the whole thing. Give me the whole set. Just they, they go to this thing. Listen, I, I would, if I was in victory, I would love to go and sit in the department store with the women while the guys, while the boys and their toys go do whatever it is they're doing. We never do get that explained in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just love to sit with the women and shop for the barware. I think that's a good choice. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable with my role in life. I, I think that's, that would be my place in victory. We rate here on a scale of one to four stars uh, on the matinee cast. Brittany Murphy, what are you giving Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry Darling? Uh, two and a half. I am going to give it the same. But again, I think people can hear. I'm like two and a half where Brittany Murphy is uh, two and a half. So <laughs> there we go. Two and a half from both of us. Um, again, like we think... It's it's a it's an interesting mess. It is not a terrible movie. It's not the it's not a catastrophe. It's not something that's gonna sink a studio or end careers. But it's messy. Um, but sometimes there are interesting things in the mess. Um, let us know what you think. Don't worry, darling. It's out in the cinemas now. We are going to take a very quick break here and come back with the other side right after this. We are back. It's Matinee Cast 292, start of a new season. She's Brittany A. Murphy. I'm Ryan M. McNeil. Give somebody $5 if they know what the M stands for without cheating. And we've been talking about Don't Worry Darling. I'm proud of myself. I finally stopped saying Don't Worry Baby. Um, New movie from Olivia Wilde. It's the other side. It's the point of the podcast where we talk about other movies, further movies, more... um, 
places you could go uh, after seeing this movie. Um, Brittany has one title to talk about. I have two, so I'm going to break tradition and I will start today. The one that jumped to mind is a movie that really got glossed over, but is a lot better than it seems. Um, I'm going back to 2009. Do you remember Revolutionary Road? Yes, with Kay Winslet and Leonardo. Yes, Guy. Um, this movie, uh, based on a novel, it's by Richard Yates, is the novelist. Um, it's a really good book. If people want to uh, read something bleak and fast, that's a, that's a pretty good read. Another movie that really makes... 1950s life look really really handsome it doesn't hurt that you've got the titanic people again in in their 1950s look leo dicaprio is another man out of time who you can basically put into any era and he looks amazing this is a movie that hit its points i think it doesn't hurt that it was based on a novel so the script for starters was better um everybody involved with it Again, kind of like what you were saying with the crew, you know, this is a Roger Deakins movie. It was directed by Sam Mendes. Um, it's got music by Thomas Newman. It's got a really great supporting cast with Catherine Hahn and Michael Shannon and Kathy Bates. Um, it It's a really, it was, it did nothing. It came out like it seemed like it might be some sort of an Oscar contender that year. And it just got mixed in the shuffle and nobody really paid it much attention beyond uh, Michael Shannon. And it is a really good movie. It's really dark. (laughs) That's the one thing I will say is don't watch this one if you're already bummed out because it is just not going to improve your mood. But it is really good, really handsome. And um, again, kind of talks about the relationship dynamics of the era and expectations, especially of, of couples and what it meant to the outside world. Have, have you seen this movie revolutionary road? I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never seen it fully from start to finish. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, it finishes. It finishes with a, it finishes with a bang. I'll, I'll say that much. It, uh, it's, it's, it's a movie that's, it seems for a minute or two like it's just going to be um, gentle melodrama in the way of like a Douglas Sirk movie. But ultimately it goes where Douglas Sirk movies would have gone if ratings boards could like would have let them go some darker places. Right. So Revolutionary Road, I think would make a great double feature. People would be bummed the holy hell out by the time that double feature is <laughs> over. What was your selection, though, for the other side? Where where would you go after Don't Worry, Darling? Um, so mine is a movie that I would match it in terms of strange things happening. Okay. Um, but also I feel as though it is informative um, in terms of what you should not do <laughs> with your... Um, people of color characters in your movies. Okay. Um, and it is last night in Soho. Ah, yes. That played at TIFF last year, which it's fun. I feel like that movie got like, I feel like that movie came and went and, and nobody really paid attention to it. Yeah. Like, and I think too, it also kind of matches. Don't worry, darling, because it's the beginning of it is promising. And then in like the like back half, it like, goes off the rails and poor decisions choices were made let's say yeah. yes um so that's why i would say it would be an interesting um pairing to watch um these films back to back um and they are both of them also if we're going to talk about good things have very good music um because yes. it's you know the 60s and last night in soho um and visually they both look really cool last night in soho i would say is at least worth watching for the dance sequence at the center of it yes is very like it's 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 very it's much more practical of a shot than it seems Mm -hmm. like i i we're in a weird place where anytime you see a trick shot you think to yourself, "Oh, this is a com- this is a, a composite. This is green screening. This is cuts that are missing." Uh, you know, you don't always understand 
the practicalities in a lot of these shots because they're actually so well hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sequence where Matt Smith and um, Anna Taylor Joy are doing this incredible dance in the middle of this ballroom, um, including these mirror reflections everywhere, which you know you would think would betray the shot. Um, that alone is worth for seeing this movie for. I agree. That was one of the best scenes in that movie. Yeah. And I remember when they had a tiff, I went to the premiere. So I believe one of the questions at the Q&A was actually about that scene. How did you do that? Yeah. yeah. And listening to Edgar Wright explain it was super cool. I will, uh, if I can find a clip of that scene at the very least, I will include it in the show notes for this episode so that people can see the sequence. But you're right. Um, you know, Edgar Wright is the kind of guy who he makes a movie, I go. Uh, and this movie, it, it was doing the same sort of thing. It was playing on this twisty nightmare kind of theme that seemed like it was rather obvious after about a third of the movie. And then, like you say, does some, it makes choices uh, yes. late in that movie. And you're, you, you kind of wonder if anybody watched this movie and said, did you consider... Because I don't think anybody did. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, again, I, I, I mean, again, it's an interesting mess that I wouldn't tell people don't see it, but I would be like, lower your expectations. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, I've got one more and another movie where strange things are happening and a woman is saying something and people aren't believing her. And there's an added level of terror. And this movie is execution on all facets um i'm going back to 1968 uh when's the last time you watched rosemary's baby i have never watched it my mom always tells me to watch it which is surprising because she doesn't like scary things but she's always telling me that no no it's so good it's so creepy you have to watch it yes um so roman polanski who is a terrible human being there is no justifying that we're just going to put that right out there but this movie that this terrible human being created um is a masterpiece uh where rosemary uh is trying as as the movie goes on and on and on she is trying to convince everybody around her that something about this life of hers where she's in this gorgeous apartment with this dashing husband and is expecting a child, something is very, very wrong. Um, and nobody's buying it. Um, and to that's, you know, that's very much what Alice is doing in Don't Worry Darling. But in Rosemary's Baby, just to complicate it further and just to add to the terror, she's pregnant, right? Like the, 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 this is this is back in the age where Pregnancy was a much more of a delicate thing. I mean, it still is. There is still a lot that can just go spectacularly wrong when a woman is pregnant. And I say that as somebody who has no experience of that being my reality, right? So I, I, that, is not my, that is not my experience. I can only glean what I've learned. But to put that into the movie, to take this woman who is already terrified of what she's going through and add in a layer of terror it's extraordinary see now it seems like i might have to watch it even though it's ugh, the polanski i know i like I, I i would never sit here and say you need to do a polanski marathon um i would say just because this movie is a horror classic and your, your mom is right it's not capital s scary it's very creepy very dark um and i think it's worth seeing once to experience the whole thing that's fair so um it's not on demand in any of the current places of course so if you want to watch it you're gonna you know pay a few bucks but that said i do believe that it's worth a few bucks i believe that you know throwing some money at itunes or amazon or or, you know one of the platforms and paying something like four dollars to watch a classic like this i totally think that's worth it that sounds good. I mean, again, as I said, it is spooky season. So yeah, 
yeah, got to do, you know, like if you're going to, if you're going to go after those, those universal classics, I mean, this is one that you could add to the list. And I would definitely say like, you know, if you're, if you're going down the list of your unseen horrors this month and you want to scratch a few off, check a few boxes, you could do a lot worse than checking Rosemary's baby. I mean, if it's between seeing Rosemary's baby and going seeing, don't worry, darling, for the love of God, watch, watch Rosemary's <laughs> baby, please. You know? Well, there we go. There is um, a brisk episode 292 to get a season started. I don't want to start you with a long episode. We'll get to those. I'm sure there's going to be movies coming out later this year that we're going to be talking about for a long ass time. But we just wanted to get you in and out and on your way for a new season. Um, I'm so, so thankful that Brittany A. Murphy could come by. Come on back October 17th for episode 293. I think we're going to be talking about tar. I'm not sure, um, but uh, that's the plan right now. Brittany's work can be found on uh, musesofmedia.ca. Do you have anything coming up this week that people can look forward to? Um, this week, I will be posting my review for Hocus Pocus 2. Yes, guy. Um, so I'm excited for that. I was actually pleasantly surprised by it. I enjoyed it. Um, and I'll probably be doing, you know, some kind of lists that have to do with spooky season. I was thinking of dropping one that's like good animated films to watch during October. Do it. Definitely do it. And if people want to follow either Muses or you on Twitter, where can they find you? So Muses is on Twitter and obviously the website is um, musesofmedia.ca and the Twitter handle is the same, Muses of Media. And then to follow me, it's Brittany, B-R-I-T-A-N-Y underscore Murphs, M-U-R-P-H-S on Instagram and Twitter. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. There's more audio content there. You can find back episodes of the show. Uh, You can also find them in all usual places, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Radio Public. You name it, I'm there. If you use a um, platform that I am not on, Please let me know and I will put my show there. It's super simple. Feedback on Don't Worry Darling or any of the show or any of the movies that we talked about today can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, Ryan at matinee.ca on Twitter. I am matinee underscore CA. And there's also Facebook, Facebook.com slash dark Ms. Murphy, any final thoughts before we go? I mean, watch this movie at your own risk. <laughs> <laughs> I like I'm telling you it's a beautiful mess it's a mess but it's a beautiful mess it is you know it's I'm, giving the equivalent of um, the meme by Aretha Franklin great gowns beautiful gowns it's giving that energy alright yeah yeah I see that I totally see that you know uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that just like there's gonna be better things to come but there, it was just you know there, there, there was so much said about this movie Except, but how is it? Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm happy that I was able to have that conversation. I was really happy that I was able to have that conversation with you. So for Brittany, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. Dog of the